Sports Talk New York with your hosts, Mark Rosenman and A.J. Carter. Sports Talk New York is sponsored in part by Prince Associates for all your insurance needs, the Phoenix Tube Company, the law firm of Declator Cohen and DePrisco, Solomon Jewelers, and General Needs Charity, serving our homeless veterans with dignity. And now, here are your hosts, Mark and A.J. Joining us now is a man who was a football and track star at Forest Hill High School in West Palm Beach, Florida, before graduating in 1975. He went on to attend the University of Miami on a full athletic scholarship, earned a degree in physical education. During his college career, he broke Chuck Foreman's career rushing record at the University of Miami, becoming the first player to rush for more than 1,000 yards in the school's history his senior year with 1,266 yards. He was named the Sporting News and the American Football Coaches First Team All-American, received All-American honorable mentions by both AP and UPI, graduated in 79 as the team's all-time leading rusher with 3,331 yards, was selected in the first round of the 1979 draft, the eighth overall pick by the St. Louis Cardinals. But here in New York, he'll always be remembered for his time as a New York Giant, where he was named Super Bowl MVP for his 102 yards and a touchdown on 21 carries. It is a thrill to welcome Otis O.J. Anderson to WLI Sports talk. Welcome, OJ. Hey, man. I'm listening to those accolades and saying, who is this guy? <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, we mentioned your high school career at Forest Hill, and I don't think that gets as much attention as it should, because that's always like the foundation for what's to come. So how important was your high, the Falcons high school coach, Jerry Jacobs, on, you know, making you the player that you would become? Well, believe it or not, it was... Uh, Al Sutton, uh, he, he had me when I was in fifth grade, and he really set the foundation. And when I got to high school, I was pretty much uh, on my way to, to college because I had so much in, so much uh, good fundamentals that uh, enabled me to be the best I could be when I got to high school. So, I mean, that's pretty wild. I mean, you're saying at a fifth grade level, what did he see in you? And... You know, to get the foundation as a fifth grader, I mean, how old are we in fifth grade? We're like 11, 11 years old. 11. So what did he teach you at that level that you were able to carry over into high school? Well, 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 well if you go that far back, it was two people. It was uh, uh, a, a man by the name of Dan Calloway and another guy by the name of Mel O'Bradovich. They were the ones that really set me going when I was in sixth, seventh grade. But I was talking about when I got to fifth grade. My fifth grade coach, which was Al Sutton, oh, had already okay. gotcha. helped build the, the background. But but Dan Calloway and Mel Bradovich and uh, those guys uh, were very instrumental in my in my in my growth and knowledge of the game, along with uh, uh, Eddie 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 James and his brother. Uh, I, I mean, it's just so many people that was dealing with youth league football that had a impact on my career. It's interesting because going back and reading the accounts of the draft and you know we're talking even to this day that a lot of running backs don't get drafted so high in the draft. You were the highest pick running back in that draft as well and the guy who was instrumental in recruiting you in college all right, was Carl Selmer and the reason why he was instrumental in recruiting you is because you were to him the prototypical eye back and you know the you used a, a slot eye formation, and he felt you were the perfect fit for the team. What do you remember most about the whole recruiting process in, in college? 
Well, you know, Pete Elliott was the head coach my uh, senior year, and then he moved to uh, athletic director uh, once I got uh, got to Miami. And yes, Carl Selma did take over as head coach. And what I remember was they told me that that the uh, Hurricanes wasn't really drafting any any any. I mean, the Hurricanes didn't have any any running backs, and that I would be the only one they have there, and, and and look forward to that. But come to find out that that they had about twenty running backs, <laughs> and I was just one of twenty. So all that is a recruiting, you know, flaws that they tell you as a as a recruit. Oh yeah, you're the only one. Don't you worry about anything. We're not getting anybody else. So they they sold me with that, and I believe that. But the first two days of practice, I never played running back. I played wide receiver. <laughs> wow. Wow. So during your college career, as we mentioned, you broke Chuck Foreman's career rushing record at Miami, becoming the first player, as we mentioned, to rush more than 1,000 yards. Um, you know, you graduated in 79 as a team's all-time leading rusher, and you played under two head coaches there. So right. the first was Carl Selmer and then Lou Saban. What did you learn from those guys? Um, you know, just playing under those guys, just learning how to – how to understand the game and and capitalizing on what it took to, to you know to go to the next level. They did a lot. They did a lot. You know, as yeah. I mentioned before, that you know, running backs are not normally drafted well, that high well, in the draft. They, in the time that I was going to ask a question about that, there's a big difference between back then and now. And at back then, going back even in back into the '60s. Running backs were drafted much higher, and running backs were valued much more. So, O.J., how do you feel now about the fact that Saquon Barkley being drafted number two is, is such a, you know, it's, it's an anomaly. anomaly. It's, it's a different right. thing as opposed to back in the old days when, you know, it was not unusual for the top running back in college to be drafted number one in the draft, number two, number three. Well, because the game has changed so much. They're making the game a more of a passing game. Mm -hmm. So, most of the time, you need big D line, I mean, offensive linemen and, and uh, wide receivers more than you needed the, the halfback or the fullback because that 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 don't happen no more because again the game was changing and it's, it's, and uh, big running backs and the backs are no longer in place and it's starting to change back a little bit but the game just got it was so so fast and everything was different. You know, one of the questions to follow up another difference between then and now is there a very big difference between the college game and the pro game. And now you see colleges much more playing, especially pro-style offenses. So back when you were in college, how different? How much was the fact that you might be playing in the NFL a factor in the way you were prepared and you were taught and used as a running back? Well, I was taught with a pro system because I had Lou Saban as my coach yeah. right. for uh, my junior senior year, and he came from Buffalo, right. and he brought in the professional uh, offense uh, situation. And it, it taught me how to be a pro. It taught me to understand the scheme of how the pros were, 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 were learning uh, their, the, the system. So I was already educated to the point where it is. When I got, when I got to the pros, I, the terminology wasn't foreign to me, and the understanding of how terminology worked wasn't foreign to me. So it was, it was a, uh, it was a no-brainer for me. Yeah, another thing that has changed is the way the draft is held and the hype around the draft. What do you remember about your draft day? How did you find out that you were drafted by the Cardinals, and where were you? 
I was home in my kitchen, and um, the the Giants had, had uh, invited me out to dinner uh, on a Friday when I was down in Miami. Uh, Ray Perkins was the head coach, and he showed me that Derek Jackson seventh in the first round, and they were picking me. And that Sunday, the Cardinals, uh, uh, Larry Wilson called me and said that they were drafting first uh, in, in the first round eight picks, and that I, they were going to pick me. And I said that I, I probably won't be there because I would be picked up by the Giants. So I was at home in my kitchen with all the press there waiting for me to be uh, selected, and uh, they grabbed me. And I was totally blindsided because I was expecting to be drafted by the the Giants and um, kind of had a giant hat ready to be brought on my head. And just what happened that my friend Billy Wilson was a was a Cardinal, and he had a Cardinal hat. And that's how we traded hats, and, <laughs> and the story goes on. Oh, man. Now they've got so, the jerseys so, so who did the Giants take? Yeah. Them. <laughs> they took them. Come on. <laughs> okay, okay. <laughs> uh, now, you had one of the greatest debut games in NFL history, rushing for 193 yards against the Cowboys' doomsday defense at that point, uh, which actually was just one shy of Alan Amici's all-time record for an NFL debut. Uh, Amici obviously ran for 194 yards for the Colts in 1955. Reading the accounts of that game, you gave a lot of the credit, uh, especially to future Hall of Fame offensive lineman Dan Deardorff. How underrated was that Cardinals offensive line? Uh, well, I don't know how underrated they were because, remember, we had we had probably about uh, three or four pro bowlers that was a part of that team. Remember, before I got there, the Eric Carrell uh, <laughs> passing attack was there, and you had Dan Deardorff, Tom Banks, which was an all-pro. Bob Young was all-pro. And uh, Gary Steve and uh, Keith Workman. So we had probably one of the best offensive line. That's why I probably did so well as a rookie because I had so many veterans and pro bowlers on my team that made it very easy for me. We're talking to MVP of the Super Bowl, Giants' O.J. Anderson. Uh, looking back at that game, you most likely would have broken Amici's record had Hollywood Henderson you know, not had a thing for your shoes. Uh, he took off your left shoe on one play, right yeah, shoe on another. Yeah, right. <laughs> so, yeah. so, you know, thinking back on that, were you a – I mean, I don't think we had instant access to stats like we do now. Were you aware that you were approaching a record that had stood at that point for nah. 24 years? Not at all. No, 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 we had no clue with that at all. And I tell people all the time, you're right, at Hollywood, we ran a draw play from my own end zone. I think it's out on the 20 30 yard line. And uh, I broke free in Hollywood. Somebody grabbed my foot and my left shoe came off. And had that not happened, I would have definitely broke that record because I would have went about 80 yards yeah. in that play because uh, I couldn't ever get my footing. I kept spinning around like a spinning top because I had one shoe on, one shoe off. And uh, after that game, I started taking my shoes along on my on my foot, so that that would never happen again. <laughs> Your rookie season, sixteen hundred and five rushing yards, uh, one of the few bright spots in the Cardinals' seventy nine season. You were in the first of back to back Pro Bowl selections that year. In your first six seasons, you rushed for over a thousand yards. Uh, the lone exception was the nineteen eighty two strike shortened season when you yep, rushed for yep. five hundred eighty seven, which in eight games, which was on a pace for well over a thousand in a sixteen game season. You're traded from the only team you know at that point to the team that you thought you were going to be drafted by in the middle of the 86 season. At that point in your career, you're 29 years old, 
and you're the 11th. 28. All right. And you uh-huh. are the 11th leading rusher in NFL history at that point with 7,999 yards in the eight seasons. And you were only 82 yards behind the retired Larry Zonka. In 12 games of the Giants, you rushed for 1,000 uh, one hundred one thousand one thousand one hundred twenty three yards more than any active player. So were you shocked by that trade? Yeah, I was shocked because you know normally you don't trade a player within the same division, and not only that you don't trade a player who you had considered your franchise player. So I, I was blown away, but that was the work of Jay Stalin. Uh, he he had it in his mind that one of the things that he wanted to do was. Uh, take command of that team, and, and how do you do that? You get some sacrificial lambs, and you get somebody that the team uh, looked up to and value uh, uh, his opinion and everything else, and that's why they traded me. Later that same season, as a Giant, you put the cap on the Giants' 39-20 Super Bowl victory over the Broncos with a two-yard run for the team's final touchdown. After all those losing seasons in St. Louis, uh, and you know, the one playoff loss, what was that run to the Super Bowl like? You know, having coming from that different, you know, legacy that you had as a Cardinal. Well, one, one thing that I have to say about the Giants were they knew they could win. They knew that any situation or circumstances they could overcome. And we were young and naive and didn't really have anything to, to kind of pin on the wall and say, if this happened or that happened, we'll be okay. So losing was, was normal. I, I, even when I was with the Giants, we was winning, I kept saying, we're going to lose, we're going to lose. And I kept saying, when were we going to lose? Because I, I didn't know what it was like to win. And, and, and those guys kept saying, oh, yeah, we're going to the Super Bowl. And I'm saying to myself, yeah, I bet, sure, you know. So I always had doubts. Even when we got to the Super Bowl, I said, well, we can't win. It's just impossible. How can, how can I have this kind of luck? And I remember there were guys on my team in St. Louis that would leave in the middle of the season and go to teams and, and have great success in the playoffs and then someone the Super Bowl. And I kept saying, there's no way in the world I'll ever be blessed like that because, one, I'm a franchise. They're never going to trade me, so I'm going to go down with this ship like everybody else. And uh, up and behold, I got traded. 89, you record your sixth 1,000-yard season. Your first as a Giant, you scored 14 rushing touchdowns, earning you the NFL Comeback Player of the Year honors by Pro Football Weekly and the Football Digest. At any point prior to that season, you know, where you had a, a little blip where your production was not as high as your previous, do, and you also mentioned you know, that you had that in the back of your mind, like we're not going to win. Did you ever have self-doubt about yourself as a player as some of your stats dipped a little prior to that 89 season? No, I was never, you know, when I got traded to the Giants, I was back up to Joe Mars, and that was my role in 86. 87 was the same thing. So I never was given a chance to really showcase my ability until Joe got hurt in 89, and that's when I went over 1,000 yards. And had we not drafted Rodney in the first round in 90 season, I probably went over 1,000 yards again. But, uh, you know, it, it, it is what it is when it came down to that. But I, I believe totally that I was a better running back. Even I was older, I was smarter. And I didn't try to worry about the little things that a lot of guys get caught up with, which is trying to go the distance and trying to make big plays every time you touch the ball. I took what the defense gave me when I got older and got smarter. And that's why I found myself counting on me. And that's why... If you look at my production when I was older, at, at that running back position, um, it, it, you know, the numbers wasn't high, but I had less fumbles, and um, 
I had a, a good ratio of uh, carries to uh, you know, yards per carry. It's interesting because you mentioned that 90 season. That's a season where you play in all 16 games. You started 13. You led the team in rushing uh, during the regular season, and you powered the team through the playoffs, and obviously you win the Super Bowl MVP, 102 yards rushing during the game, which was the ground and pound, which you know, was the key. Um, you know, and you win that Super Bowl MVP. Of all the things that you've accomplished at the college level, high school level, you know, winning a championship prior to this, that ring, where does winning a Super Bowl MVP stand in, you know, the order of your, your, your things that you look back on in achievements? Um, you know, I look back at my rookie year because that was my, my uh, beginning, uh, 1,600 yards rushing. Um, I rank that pretty high. But when you look at the Super Bowl, and there's only 50-something, 40-something uh, MVPs that ever ever played the game and got that honor, uh, it's an elite, a very elite class. Uh, as far as MVP, as far as uh, regular year, that's a lot of those. So I, I feel very, very fortunate and honored. So I, I rank the Super Bowl very high because I predicted it. I said when I came out of the University of Miami as a, as a, as a senior and, and going into the NFL as a, as a rookie, I said if I ever played in the Super Bowl and it was in the state of Florida and I was a feature running back, I wouldn't look back as a player. And if you recall, in 89, the Super Bowl was at Joe Robbie Stadium in Miami, and we were playing against the Rams, and I was a featured back, and uh, we got beat with that flip of Anderson. So I thought my dream and my prediction was over with until Maurice Sassar told me that the Super Bowl was in Tampa the following year, 1990. <laughs> and I told, I told Maurice Sassar, sitting on my desk, sitting in my stool after we had just got beat, by the Rams, I said, if the Super Bowl is in the state of Florida, and is that Tampa like you're telling me, I'm telling you right now, we're going to Super Bowl. And he'll tell you that I predicted that, that we were going to Super Bowl, and we did. Nice. So we're about an hour away from kickoff when the Giants will be taking on their biggest rivals, the Dallas Cowboys. Uh, you could build this one like Zeke versus Barkley. The one time Ezekiel Elliott faced the Giants last year was a season opener where he rushed for 104 yards and 24 carries, which uh, led the way to the Cowboys' 19-3 win. Um, you know, you take a look. If you take away Barkley's 68-yard touchdown run last week where he broke three tackles, the Giants just gained 46 yards on the ground on 22 carries. So what did the Giants need to stop Zeke on the offensive side? And what do they need? I know they played a very good defense, and no way are the Cowboys anywhere near that class of defense. But what do the Giants and Eli need to do to, to use all those weapons that they've put together for him in, in this game? Well, they start off with protection. They, they got to uh, uh, protect Eli. And they got to block somebody. They got to, you know, they got to man up. One thing that I think that Parcells was great at, well, he made every man accountable for the man in front of you. You do your job. Something that Belichick has instilled in all the defensive players. Do your job. And if you do your job, then you got to great success in being successful. One thing I think these kids today don't understand is that you don't have a responsibility, and your responsibility would be. Pick the man in front of you, however you need to do it. And, and if something goes wrong, don't let it be your responsibility. Don't let it be your man. That's one thing that we pride ourselves on as a giant was that we didn't want – when we looked at film, we didn't want it to look like my man was the reason why we didn't have a big play or my man was the reason why this play didn't work. Because ultimately, you're accountable for the guy that you're supposed to be taking care of. 
you know, the poster child, I think, for the Giants' offensive line failures was Flowers. And the offseason, he's moved from the left to the right side. Now, apparently, he did not have a very, he did not, not apparently, he did not have a very good game last week, no, even on not. the right side. No, right. So at, at what point, if you're, if you're the coach of the team, or if you're the general manager of the team, do you say, you know what, we've tried this experiment, and it's time to move on, or do you still have hope that this guy can be a productive member of the offensive line? Well, he's from the youth, you know, and he got hard, and he was drafted first round. Pick in place. I think that he just, you know, one thing about a player, you take his confidence and you take away the fact that you believe in him and trust in him that he can get it done, then, then he's a wounded soldier trying to do work for you. But if you instill him that, hey, you know what, we got you. You may mess up, you may do this, may do that, but don't give up the fight. Keep fighting and we'll believe in you, and you'll turn this thing around. And that's one of the main things that you as a coach has to know. Now, obviously, they looked at the people that they have, and they realized that he is the one. He's the one that can, can do the job. He's the one that's most skilled at trying to do the job. So just just have faith with him and, and bear with him and let him do it. But listen, ain't nobody on the office line kicking no butt and raising those canes right now. You know what I'm saying? So... <laughs> He's just part of everybody else. He's part of the club like everybody else. Sunday, September 30th, 3.30 to 5 p.m., when the Giants take on the Saints, fans will have a chance to meet and greet you at Barleycorn, uh, 22 Park Place in New York. What can people look forward to if they come down? Well, they have uh, a, a down-home kid just like they are, somebody you can talk to, take pictures with. You can ask any kind of questions, too, and uh, I'm about as personable you ever get, so... Uh, look for a good time and uh, some good football and and then and, and some analysis and, and just a just like a, just a great time, just a great time, a great person to talk to and just all right, good place to hang out. If people are looking to purchase tickets, they can find it on Eventbrite. Just uh, look up OJ Anderson meet and greet. Uh, before we let you go, prediction for tonight's game, score, winner. Um, I see the Giants winning. 24, maybe 17, or it could be a little, 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 little more, a little less, but I see the Giants pulling it off. Sounds like a we'll great game, that. for sure. Otis, thanks so much for your time tonight. More importantly, thanks for so many great Giant games, and, and most importantly, the, the two Super Bowl rings. Uh, you got to love that. You know, two Super Bowl championships for us Giant fans. So thanks so much, OJ, and go Big Appreciate Blue. you guys. Look forward to it. You got it. Otis, OJ <laughs> Anderson.